0: I want to get right into the Word of God. I have a lot to say and not a whole lot of time to say it, but I think I have enough time to say it. I want to ask you, have you ever been
1: hurt? Really hurt? Heart hurt? Not so much physical hurt? Physical hurt may have been a part of it, but have you ever really been damaged, hurt on the inside? What did you do with that hurt? Is it still there? What did you do with the pain? How did you keep from becoming bitter? ungodly, angry? How did you keep from lashing out at the person who hurt you? Well, God taught me a lesson about one year after I got saved about how to do that.
0: I was a very angry young man at 25. I was a very bitter young man at 25 i masked it around most people but i really wanted to hurt somebody and primarily the person i wanted to hurt was my dad i really 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 wanted to hurt my dad we're going to switch mics
1: is that coming through all right okay you hear that
0: Pastor Rob, you heard the part about hurting and what I wanted to do want to hurt my dad really bad. And I want to tell you how I got to the place where I wanted to hurt him. So I'm going to share my story a little bit. Um, I am one of 15 children. Means I have 14 siblings, brothers and sisters. My mother only had six of us. I have brothers and sisters outside of my home that my dad had with three other women. My mom and my dad never divorced. So all of this was happening in the context of my family. You know, that was a song, late 60s, 70s. Papa was a rolling stone. Wherever he laid his hat was it. His... And when he, all he left us was alone, my dad. Uh,
1: can you imagine what it was like growing up in my home? We
0: went without a lot of things that we probably would not have gone without if my dad were not trying to take care of four households. I remember that there were times where we were in church and we didn't have adequate shoes. And if you sat on the front row, you put your feet under like this, you didn't put them out because you didn't want people to see that you had holes in your shoes. There's not necessarily anything wrong with having holes in your shoes, but we could have done better. But my dad had other obligations, and so there were times when we did not have adequate clothing. I experienced quite a bit of embarrassment because of my dad, too. I recall in elementary school, we used to be able to walk to and from school, and that was a long way and a short way. I started off going the shorter way, but then I stopped. I started going the long way by myself, because the short way, my friends were with me. But I changed because my friends kept asking me, why is your daddy's car always at so-and-so's house? So so rather than have to ask that question, I just, I'm going to go home the long way. Can you imagine the emotions that I'm starting to experience? Anger. Resentment.
1: Confusion. More
0: anger. I don't know that I can beat him up by then, but I'm mad. Now, tough at home Embarrassed in the community. Now, add on top of that, my dad was a leader in our local church. My dad was a deacon, ordained. Chairman of the deacons, ordained. My dad was the superintendent of Sunday school, training union leader. He was really an action. Uh, Actually, a very good uh, Bible teacher. He knew the word of God. We were amazed at his knowledge of the word of God. So here we are, problems at home, embarrassed in the community. Your dad is a leader in the church. And everybody knows that dad is living an immoral lifestyle. Everybody knows it. The church leaders know it. Nobody said anything about it. They just let dad do what he did. You ever been hurt at church? Anybody ever been hurt by the church? Hurt by dad? Hurt in the community? Hurt by the church? Church hurt my mom. Church hurt me. Church hurt my siblings. The church hurt itself because it didn't have the courage to stand up to what everybody knew was wrong. We're little kids. We don't know. We can't do anything about it. But we know enough to know that that's not right. Well, by the time I'm an adolescent, we have an incident that happens in our home that gave us great hope that things were going to change. Dad's going to stop doing what he's doing. He's going to be at home. He's going to be faithful to our mother. Things are going to change. Sunday morning, I'm an adolescent then. We're preparing for church. Dad came home late as he normally does. But it's normal. he it was a little later this time. You know, usually he'd get there before the sun came up because he'd be out all night. But this time, the summer's up. We were already preparing for church, gospel music on the radio. we getting together. We found out then that dad was a pistol-packing deacon. Now, back then, they didn't do that just commonly, okay? So we're getting dressed. My dad uh, was jostling with my sister. He wasn't trying to hurt her. They're just playing. And we heard this loud, pow! The gun discharged. Shot my sister.
1: Shot her in the chest. Bullet remained because they
0: couldn't get it, but she lived. In a strange way, that led to hope. Because um later on that week my dad surrendered to preach. Dad is gonna be a preacher. Surely things are gonna change now, man. Dad's gonna be a preacher. He isn't gonna do this stuff anymore. He's gonna get it right, he's gonna be at home. Dad's gonna preach, things are gonna change. Things did change. Dad just stopped parking in the back and he's in the front and he started parking in the back. Church did nothing about it. Church facilitated my dad becoming a pastor. Now we have the reverend pastor, my dad, pastor in churches in rural communities outside of Beaumont, not in our home church. I'm really mad by now. Do you get me? And when we used to get together, my brothers and sisters, we talked about how we were going to hurt our dad. We really did. No, we start off having fun, but eventually everything evolved around what dad was doing, and we were plotting, we were going to hurt this guy. My mom is a true Proverbs 31 woman. she sit there, she'd listen to that, and then she walk into the room eventually and say, I remember one time she said, listen, y'all need to understand something. That's your dad, he's your father. You're not going to get another one. That's the only one you're going to get. And you better learn how to love him. So my mom stayed and she prayed and she taught us to love our dad in spite of what he was doing. What a woman. Faithful to this man, even though he was unfaithful. My mom was incredible. My dad used to bring all these other children to our home. My mom treated them just like they were her children. incredible. She never talked about them and talked about their mothers or put them down. She fed them. She clothed them. She did whatever. Whatever we got, they got. I heard her crying at night sometimes. We made her cry a lot. She was a godly woman. Faithful woman. Committed to God. And commi- And she always say, God's going to fix it. That was her mantra. God's going to fix it. Am I right? That's my wife. She's heard us say it. God's going to fix it. So I graduate high school. I take my anger to Austin, Texas, the Holy Land. Amen, amen. (laughs) I have to be my own amen section now, okay? (laughs) And so I go to college. But you know what I said when I left to go to college? I am never going back home. I'm not doing it. Why? Too much pain. Too much embarrassment. I am not ever going back to that place. You understand? You feel me? Because I want to hurt this guy, and we're mad. Fast forward six years. I graduated from college. As soon as I graduated from college, I was just ready to destroy myself, and God saved me. God saved Uh, spring of 1982. Six months later, I'm called to preach, summer of 1982. Fall of 1982, I preached my first sermon. Now, in in the black church, preaching your first sermon is a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, (laughs) you know. I mean, the whole church is invited, is advertised for weeks. You know, family come from all over the place and friends. It's kind of like a proving ground here. We're going to see if this guy is really called. Okay. So uh, I preached my first sermon. My family comes to Austin. No one in the room is prouder than my dad.
1: He was so proud to have a son in the ministry like him. And
0: so now I'm Preaching the word of God and in a great church under a great pastor one year later. There's no reason to leave. Everything's going fine, but I begin. You ever had this sense of something's getting ready to change? You know what that's like, don't you, Pastor? And uh, I didn't know what it was, but God was stirring up in me, and something was about to change, and I didn't know what it was. But I knew that I had to obey God no matter what he said do. Because I had ordered my life like that. Whatever God says do, that's what I was going to do. I had prepared to go to school in music because of my degree. Once I was called to the ministry, I put that away and decided I'm going to seminary. Because that's what God has called me to do. So it totally changed the direction of my life. And now God is getting ready to make another directional change. And I don't know what it's going to be. So I fasted and I prayed for weeks, kind of discerned what God wanted. You know what kept coming to my mind? Go home. That must be from the devil. <laughs> that can't be from God. You know, God knows I am not going home. You know how they say, uh, the devil is a liar. You know, say that. They say something, but... That can't be from God. So you know what I did? I fasted and prayed some more. (laughs) Because that is not from God. And you know what kept coming up? Go home. Out of all of the options that were better than going home, the only option that gave me peace was go home. So I submitted to the will of God, and I left Austin, and I, I went home. I didn't know why I was going home. I didn't know what God was sending me home for. You know, I'm angry and I'm frustrated. I want to beat up my dad. I get there. I'm staying with my parents. I'm a grown man. No, I don't want to stay with my parents. I can't find a job. I was working in the mental health field. I should have been able to find a job. So I'm frustrated and what's going on. And God sent me home about three months and God revealed to me why I was there. I wasn't there to get a job. I was there to deal with my dad issues. Because I cannot be the man of God that God wants me to be if I have this bitterness and I have this anger in my heart toward my dad. So God sends me home. Now, until I was called into the ministry, I would never have had an opportunity to talk to my dad about his behavior. Because in black families, and I know in my family, respect is highly valued to the point that, the dad and the parents are always the parents and you're always a child. No matter how old you get, it doesn't change. A child stays in his place. So we never had a platform whereby we could confront our parents. But my platform has changed. I'm now a minister of the gospel. I'm equal with dad. And now I can talk to dad when none of my siblings can. And I have to talk to him, not father to son, but minister to minister. Hardest thing I ever did in my life was have to go to my dad and talk to him about this situation. I mean, it's hard. Hurt him, hurt me. We had two conversations. I planned to have a third one. In those two conversations, I basically told my dad, that I was not going to be able to minister with him because of the life that he was living. That hurt him. But I had to make a choice. The world is watching. Me being with my dad said that I comply with his lifestyle. I couldn't do that. My friends are watching. My siblings are watching. Is Alan for real or not? But most of all, what God says. God is for holiness, and God is from righteousness. He didn't want me to partake in sin. I prepared to have a third conversation with my dad, and my mom said, Alan, you cannot talk to your dad again because you're hurting him. His health is failing already, and it's really hurting him to talk to you. And so here I am now. I'm trying to deal with my dad. It's just God has sent me home to do that. I understand that now. And mom says I can't talk to him. And so I say, so what now, God? I can't talk to dad about it. He hasn't changed. He didn't say he was going to change.
1: So what am I supposed to do? God said, Alan, you need to forgive your dad. I said, what?
0: You need to forgive your dad. So me and God having this conversation, I say, God, well, he didn't ask to be forgiven. God, he doesn't have to ask. He needs to forgive your dad. I say, well, he didn't change. He doesn't have to change for you to forgive him. You need to forgive your dad. The only way you're going to be free of the bitterness and the anger that is boiling within you is that you are going to have to forgive your dad.
1: So, by the grace of God, I forgave
0: my dad. Immediately released from anger, bitterness, hatred. No longer want him to feel my pain and to hurt. Immediately after I did that, I was gone. Never got a job. I was gone to seminary. God didn't send me home to get a job and to get stuck. He sent me home to get right. And after I got right, I was able to go on and live my life. Now I can be used to God because I'm not filled with bitterness and anger. Well, what happened to my dad? About four years later, this is 1987 then, dad is sick, deathly sick. And I go to visit him in the hospital. And dad says to me, God is chastising me, son. He knew. He told my other brother, older brother, and the older kids kind of kept it worse. He said, son, I know I was wrong. I've never been in the presence of anyone more tuned to the word of God And focused on God and communing with him than my dad was in the last days of his life. As God purged him and as God cleansed him. As I read the word of God to my dad, he hung on every word as if God was right there in his presence. My dad died about five days later and I had the privilege of doing the eulogy for my dad. And it was an honor to do that. So you say, Alan, why would you tell us about your dad and and embarrass him like that? It's not intended to embarrass my dad. My dad would be the first one to say, "Now, Alan, you tell the truth. Let's see what happens. If God had not intervened, I would never have told you. Because what I would have told you about my dad is not that I love him. I would have told you what? I hate this man. And I want to hurt him. What God does, and the way that you know that God has touched your tragedy, is he takes it,
1: your tragedy,
0: and he turns it into a testimony, you see. My tragedy now is a testimony of the faithfulness of God and what he did in my heart and what he did in, in my dad's heart and And he's taking it out of the shadows of embarrassment and the closets of shame. And he says, yeah, this is what happened, but this is what God did. And I am who I am today by the grace of God that he delivered me from anger toward my dad. And I can tell the truth now. You know, kids, I've been working in psychiatry for over 40 years. One of the hardest things for kids is for them to be able to to say they love their parents when their parents have done things to hurt them. They live in one or two worlds. Either they totally hate them and have no love for them, or they totally love them and can't make themselves acknowledge that they've done wrong. But I can say my dad was wrong, and I love him, and I really do. Listen, a whole lot about me is, is my dad. You know, imagine what it was like for me living I look like my dad. I walk like my dad until I got one leg longer than the other one. You know, He didn't limp like this. <laughs> you know, I have mannerisms like my dad. Imagine what it was like for me, mad at the man, and everything about me is just like him. By the grace of God, that didn't last. So for about the last 10 minutes, and you don't have to stand today, I just want to share with you. What it means to forgive. There are a lot of myths out there about what it means to forgive. When we're told to forgive, we always hear forgive and you heard it too, huh? <laughs> People say forgive and forget. You know, there's nowhere in the New Testament where the New Testament believers are told to forgive and forget. It's not there. I want to share with you how we got to this place. Is that a biblical concept? And is that what God is causing me to do? Did he call me to forgive my dad and forget everything that he did? Is that what he called me to do? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness, that was me. Wrath and anger. Again, Ephesians chapter 4. I'll wait for you.
1: Verse thirty-one: Let all bitterness, wrath,
0: boiling anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with malice. I wanted to maliciously hurt my dad. A key verse: Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as what? God in Christ also has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13 mirrors that verse. It says, bear with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you should also forgive. Jesus told us to pray in Matthew 6.12. Forgive us what? Our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And later on in that verse, verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. What is God calling us to do when he calls us to forgive? Two New Testament words for forgive: a fear may. Those that are writing A-P-H-I-E-M-A, charizomia, C-H-O-R-I-Z-O-M-I-A, a firme, charizomia. And they function like a coin with two sides. And they're interchanged throughout the scripture. A means to cancel a debt. It means to send away. It means to accept the loss. What it means is that the one who is offended absorbs the cost of the debt. It is an act of the will whereby the one who is offended releases the offender from the expectation and the obligation to pay them back for what they did. I wanted my dad to pay me back. But not only that, I want him to feel my pain. Restitution, reciprocation. That's what we want. That is what drives unforgiveness. Payback. Pay me back. And I really want you to hurt. Like I hurt. Biblical forgiveness says I release them from the obligation to pay me back. Karitsamai is unconditional favor. Unconditional. Okay. That's why God says, I said, well, God, he didn't ask. God says unconditional. He didn't change. From your side, unconditional. And the greatest example of that is what we have at Calvary. The Bible says that we had a debt that we owe. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And we were sinners. Romans 3. Says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, the question is, how are we going to pay this debt to God? Romans 3, verse 12 says that we can't be good enough to pay the debt. Romans 3, verse 10 said we can't do right enough to pay the debt. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And every time I think about that, I think about my great-grandmother, Emma Carter, she was a godly woman. I never saw her do anything wrong. She never raised her voice. She never cursed. She didn't do anything. She was the one that I would wake up in the morning when I visited her house, and she'd be walking around singing, all day, all night. The angels keep watching over me, my Lord. All day, all Oh, the angels keep watching over me. That's my great-grandmother. That's what I heard when I woke up in the morning. I had a praying grandmother, my dad's mom. She prayed every day for an hour at the same time, and nobody could disturb her. I don't care if your house was burning, she's praying. It doesn't matter. You can't talk to Grandma Hazel until she's finished praying. My grandmother on my mother's side, she was so walking with God until I was in college one day, and she called me up and she said, boy, what's wrong with me? The Lord told me that you were sick. I was sick and I hadn't told anybody. Now, I don't know how that works. But grandma called and she said, God told me you were sick. What's wrong with you? (laughs) These are the godly women that I had praying for me and I had praying uh, uh, for my dad. So we got this debt. And so, what I'm getting ready to say is this Isaiah 64 6 says, All our righteousness are as filthy rags. My great grandmother, with all of her righteousness, could not do right enough to make it to heaven. She will be lost. So, here we are. Can't be good enough, can't do right enough, can't work enough. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not of work. So no man can boast. Going to church, visiting the sick, feeding the hungry, helping old ladies cross the street, old men too, okay? And uh, none of that. You can't work your way into heaven. Getting baptized won't get you to heaven. Preaching won't get you to heaven. What am I going to do? Well, when I'm in that situation, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God... While we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, but peradventure for, for a good man. Some would even dare to die. But God commends His love toward us, in that while we are yet sinners, He canceled my debt. He paid for it at Calvary, gone away unconditionally, even before I asked him, he'd already gone to Calvary, right? He didn't say, I'm going to wait out Alan the and I'm going to die for him. I'd have been going to hell. He counsels my debt. And that's what it means to be saved. And therefore, whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved. You'll be saved. And God will never bring up sin again when it comes to get to heaven because the debt has been paid in full and the one who was harmed was the one who paid the debt. And that is what forgiveness calls you to do. If you're the one that is harmed, they could never pay you back. See, that was the whole point. My dad could never pay me back for one day of shame. He could never do it. Amen. That's my amen corner. Way to go, bro. Glory. Yes, do it again. (laughs) Restitution, satisfied. Reciprocation. Jesus doesn't say, I want you to feel my pain. He took all our pain. Amen. All of it. The sins of the whole world placed upon him. Now, the word of God said he could have called angels to help me feel his pain. But he didn't do that. He takes the pain on himself. And that's what I did for my dad. I released him from the obligation to pay me back for what he had done, because he could never pay me back, and I no longer wanted him to feel my pain. Because when I want him to feel my pain, that is not Christ-like. The Word of God said, God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. If it was wrong for him to make me hurt, then it's going to be wrong for me to make him hurt. Said you don't respond with evil by giving evil. You respond to evil by doing what? Good. Amen. Everybody understand what forgiveness means? You cancel the debt. You don't bring it up. You don't say, I remember what you did. You don't try to make them hurt. You just say, I got it. I set you free.
1: What does forgiveness not mean? And then we're closing. Forgiveness
0: does not mean no recall. Where do we get that from? Hebrews 10 verses 14 through 18 quotes. Again, Hebrews 10, 14 through 18 quotes Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. The writer of Hebrews says that He's quoting Jeremiah who prophesied, God prophesied to him that they would come, that Christ would die for sins. And having died for sins and the penalty being paid, he would remember their sins no more. And that's where we get that idea. I will remember your sins for more. And so we translated that we need to forgive and forget. Remember your sins for more cannot mean, no more, cannot mean no recall, first of all. Because it's that everything that God does not recall, he ceases to be God. Right? he's omniscient. He knows all things at all times. So it can't be that he doesn't recall. Well, what does it mean when he says he does not remember my sin? It's the same with the idea of forgiveness. He does not remember it in such a way to bring it back up again every time you come to him. He doesn't regurgitate it to you. He doesn't say, remember what you did. He says, debt is paid in full. Matter of fact, the psalmist says, I place your sin as far as the east is from the west. God says, when you start going east, you'll never go west. And that means that I'll never bring that sin up again. When it comes to salvation, I stand before God. And and he says, "Uh, uh, why should I let you in? I'm going to say, because I have Jesus and he paid my debt. And he's going to say, that's enough. (laughs) That's enough. That's all you need. It never brings it up. So if we want to say forgive and forget, what we have to understand that we're saying is that we are forgiving and we're forgetting in a sense that we're not going to use it to hammer the person next time. We cancel the debt. We let it go. That makes sense? All right. Number two, forgiveness does not mean that the offender will change. God died for the sins of the whole world and offers them forgiveness. Everybody has not chosen to receive it. You benefit from it when you receive it, but everybody has not changed. So sometimes we think that we can't forgive people because they have not changed. No, it's for you. It's not for them. They benefit when they receive it and repent. You benefit when you let it go. So You can't wait for them. Number three, forgiveness does not mean that the offender is no longer accountable to the law. You see, we struggle with that. We think if we've forgiven somebody and they committed a crime, then we ought to go down to the courthouse and say, let them go. Or you wonder why you're saying that we're okay with them going to jail. Well, forgiveness on my part does not mean that the government forgives you and that the law forgives you. The law has to do what it does. If you're a criminal, you have to stand before the court. I can forgive you, and yet you still have to pay your debt to the court. They don't forgive. (laughs) Okay. That makes sense. People struggle with that. Then, lastly, forgiveness does not mean that trust is automatically and immediately restored. Okay, I can forgive you and not trust you. Trust is earned over time with good behavior. Okay, if you're a thief, you get me once, but I'm not sitting my wallet out there. The next time you come, we want to show some behavior and some. Repentance before I trust you. I read an article not long ago about the bombing of the Mora building in 1995. In the Murrah building, there was a daycare. A brother and a sister were in that daycare. Both of them were injured. The boy was injured far more severely than the girl. He was mentally injured and physically injured. That totally changed his life. A local reporter was interviewing the young lady about 12 years later. And she noticed something strange about this girl, that she had this peace and calmness. She wasn't bitter and angry. And so the lady said to this young girl, why is it that? When I mention Timothy McVeigh's name, you don't get angry and bitter and boil in rage. And then when you look at your brother, his life has totally changed. He'll never be the same. How is it that you're not just mad at this man? 17-year-old girl said, the reason I'm not mad and angry and bitter is because I forgave
1: Timothy McVeigh. She had every right to be angry and
0: bitter, but she didn't want to live a life that way. And that is what God is calling you to do. And God is calling me to do when people offend us. Listen, it is unrealistic to think that we're never going to be offended. We live in a fallen world with fallen people and even believers sin, and we hurt each other. How do we keep from being angry people? We learn to forgive. To cancel the debt.
1: If a holy God can forgive sinners, why can't sinners forgive sinners?